Do you remember last Palm Sunday? I do. Because I preached that Sunday and because we were in the midst of our COVID lockdown. Everything stopped. We were told to stay home. We had to turn our house into a schoolroom overnight. I had to figure out how to work from home and we decided to not leave our house except for necessities. But I had to preach. And so we figured it out. We established Disney Plus in our house and set our kids down in front of it. And Andy and I walked down our driveway. I had it easy because he was walking backward the whole way with a heavy video camera, holding it steady without any fancy equipment. And I, it's important for me to remember because it's important that we mark those moments of our pilgrimage together. We have learned so much over this past year. We have grown so much. We have lost and grieved so much. So it's time to remember. So when I think about Palm Sunday, I get excited. I get excited about seeing the children, all of them filling our sanctuaries filling our worship spaces with their songs, with their smiles, with their waving of the palms. And it's exciting and it's lovely and it's hopeful and joyful. But I've always had this thing about Palm Sunday, maybe you too. There's a hint of awkwardness to it. Kind of like, don't they know what they're doing? Because we know the rest of this story that this crowd who welcomed Jesus this Jesus coming and on, riding on a colt through the people, this Jesus would be the one that would end up on the cross with the people crying, crucify him. So as Jesus rides down through Jerusalem, Jesus rides this small colt as a sign that he is the Prince of Peace. And so we get excited because our Messiah is here. You know, this awkwardness that is Palm Sunday is something that we should notice because we can't deny where this pilgrimage ends. It ends at the cross. So many Palm Sundays leave me with a bitter taste in my mouth and I feel guilty about feeling that way. We of course have this privilege of perceiving these moments, of knowing what the reality of what is to come and that the cross isn't always the final answer it never is it's the resurrection the empty cross that we celebrate so Palm Sunday helps us to begin our Holy Week together we follow Jesus in our pilgrimage from this moment all the way through the Passover festival and each day in the events of this last week of Jesus' life are laid out step by step in our Gospels. And along the way, we hear and we read about the people who were close to Jesus and how they came to terms with the reality of what would happen to him. Yet, many of them never really did. We see humanity for all its worth in these pages. We see the good, the wishy-washy, and the bad. 
It seems like every human emotion, every human triumph, and every human failure is on display for us to see. It's as if this Holy Week is a full representation of our pilgrimage with God and with one another. You know, a pilgrimage is rarely easy. At the start of it, it's exciting because you're going somewhere. You're going on a journey, you're making plans, and it's going to be exciting and full of anticipation. Much like the feeling and the sense of those who are part of the Palm Sunday procession. This celebratory nature is where it begins, but sometimes that road takes twists and turns that we don't expect and we don't enjoy. And even in those moments, we are surprised by the devotion of our fellow followers of the faith. We're surprised by their encouragement and their sacrifice for us and their deep love. So in these moments leading up to the Passover meal, behind the scenes, those scribes and Pharisees and those chief priests who wouldn't normally get along or see eye to eye come together for a common purpose of ending Jesus, trying to find the right moment to catch him off guard, to arrest him, so as to not be noticed by the crowds. Meanwhile, Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper. You know, many people believe that Simon was really no longer a leper, but he had been healed by Jesus some time ago, and they had become friends. And so here in the home of Simon, the disciples stayed and rested and ate. And in this scene, we find the woman coming forward with the huge jar, the alabaster jar of costly oil to sacrifice at the feet of Jesus. And this costly ointment is meant to prepare Jesus for burial. It's a true sign of her devotion and her unwavering faith. You know, it's fitting that as we stand here in the midst of the food pantry in the Friendship House, I'm reminded of the connection that this is the place where the oil is, is spilled out, where people are anointed by God and by the Holy Spirit and can feel and sense the smell of that ointment. Much like this woman, she must have known that Jesus would be arrested, would die a criminal's death, which would mean that he wouldn't be entitled to his normal burial ritual. She also must have known that he would truly be resurrected and therefore not accessible to anoint after his burial. He would be gone. Her faith in Jesus was strong and true. And then there's Judas. I've always wondered what set him off. What was the last straw that sent him running to the doors of the Sanhedrin? What was the thing that he finally just lost it and said, I have to turn this man in. He is not the real Messiah. You know, the gospel writers all have different ideas. Matthew 
believes um, that Judas did all of this for the money, that he was greedy, that he saw the opportunity and snagged it for 30 pieces of silver. And Luke and John have a different idea. They both say that he was possessed by Satan, which is why he went forward with this plan. Yet Mark, our gospel for today, leaves it open. There isn't a clear motive for us to find. Yet it seems like immediately following the alabaster jar experience where Jesus names, she did this because I'm going to die. That was it for him. You know, that idea of betrayal is rough. That's a hard one because it cuts deep. We can all name those moments of betrayal in our lives, can't, can't we? I mean, I have them in my mind right now. I have those scars that I still carry and might carry the rest of my life. I think Judas, perhaps, prior to this betrayal switch that was flipped, was as faithful and as true a disciple as all the rest. He truly believed that Jesus was the Messiah and that he had come to upend the powers that be, to set right and transform um, the world in which they lived, to make sure that this, this Roman occupation was no more, that Jesus was coming in as a victor. You know, warriors don't die, at least don't give themselves up and say they will die. You know, he truly believed that Jesus had come to save them. I'm sure he was standing in that crowd on Palm Sunday wholeheartedly shouting Hosanna because that's where his soul was. And yet again, once Jesus affirmed that he was going to die, I think that's when Judas lost it. They had made it so far. They had come into Jerusalem, finally arrived, were at a safe place to stay, were about to have the Passover meal. This was the Savior's moment. How could his Savior die? He must have hoped that this death that Jesus kept talking about was metaphorical, that it wasn't real. And when this truth came out, He had to feel himself betrayed, duped. He must have felt stupid. He must have, I imagine Judas saying to himself, I have wasted so much of my life following this man, believing in this man. And and yet in this, it, it must be true what these religious authorities have said about him. He cannot be the true prophet. He's false. He's a phony. And so the only way in his mind to make it right was to turn him in because he believed that the faithful needed to know the truth. Oh, the things that we will do and the people that we will betray when we believe that we are right. How many times have we, as Christ followers, betrayed others under the guise of the purity of our own faith. 
It's amazingly sad to me how often that we feel that we are the faithful ones and in the midst of our proclamation, heartily stomp on others and cause them to feel deserted, alone, and betrayed. I get the feeling that Judas had good intentions when he started out. And he thought in his heart of hearts that he was doing the best for the faithful. But Judas was wrong. As we hear the story again, it's easy for us to identify with the crowds on Palm Sunday cheering Jesus on. It's easy for us to identify with the woman who poured out the oil at Jesus' feet, showing the full faithfulness and devotion, because that's the disciples that we want to be. Yet it is much harder for us to identify with the crowds that call crucify him in the crowd on Good Friday. It is almost impossible for us to identify as Judas, the one who betrays, the one who harms with the best of intentions. You know, it's far more difficult for us to journey down this pilgrimage. But yet, this is the rub of Holy Week. Our pilgrimage ends today with the preparations for the Holy Meal, for that Last Supper, that meal with, with Jesus and the disciples around the table. And it's important to notice that at that table, Jesus, Jesus names the dragon, as Scott would say. Jesus looks and identifies the betrayer in the eye and says, Judas, this one will betray me. And yet in that moment, Jesus doesn't call upon the fire when he could have. Jesus continues to dine, to share the cup, to share the last supper, to wash his feet. And to me, that matters the most. So I hope that you continue to join us through Holy Week. Because it's important to remember and to rehearse every step of the way of the pilgrimage. It's important for us to mark Monday, Thursday, and to remember. It's important for us to observe a Good Friday and remember so that we, when we come together for Easter, we can celebrate that it's over, that Jesus is the victor, that he has risen, and that his death on the cross was not the end. Because it's important for us to recognize the meaning of the cross. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus bled and wept and cried out on the cross for everybody. For the betrayers, too. For the deniers, too. For those who never got it. 
too. And the ultimate desire in my thoughts is that these moments of pouring out and of sacrifice are moments of love and hope. That we would not end our story feeling betrayed or being the betrayer. That the forgiveness and the reconciliation is the hope of God, that we would come together to hear one another and to move forward together as one. So let's go. Let's continue to walk. Thanks be to God.